uh, issues where we should be thankful. Uh, we started out with eight focuses. We're going to nine focuses. And so need to move along quickly this morning. Uh, but we talked about just being thankful for who God is uh, and then what he's done, his greatness, his power. And, you know, I, I think sometimes when we just thank him for the general revelation, the stars and the handiwork of his hands and everything that we see in the creation, we tend to get caught up with it for ourselves rather than caught up with it for who God is. And so that's why I like to just stop and think about who God is and give thanks for him rather than simply the creation. And then we go on to the creation. We talked about the fact that God created us. Each of us is unique, special individuals, and we gave thanks for that. And then the fact that, uh, that God made a provision for our salvation. Because, you see, God understood the fact that we were going to be lost even before he created the world. Uh, sin came into it. God is all-knowing. He knows that's going to happen. And uh, within his decree within his revealed plan we know that he did that and it says before the foundation of the world he planned for Jesus to come and be our savior and so we need to understand that and we need to thank God for that because it means that we have a destiny in heaven we will be there where uh, the Lord is we will be there and experience his fullness in a way we've never done it before we were thankful we said for the word and uh answered prayer, forgiveness, victory over sin, and I think that's not just the idea of salvation, but that's the idea that, boy, when I'm struggling with sin in this world, it doesn't matter what it is. It may be an attitude. It may be an action. It may be the way I talk to people. It may be um, an addiction I have, uh, temptations that are out there. God says, I'll give you victory. He says, uh, there's no temptation overtaken us, but which is common to men. But God is faithful, who will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able. But with that temptation provides a way of escape that we can stand up under it. And so we need to be thankful for those things. And that's when we come in the morning and, and say thanks, uh, I think that's what we need to be aware of. Now, I... Uh, I want to talk this morning about being thankful, and there's so many things we could do. I didn't even have the church on my list, and yet that's one of the primary things we should be thankful for because the universal church is God's program. The local church is the evidence of that universal church. Do you know something? This church is part of God's program. The church has laid out how it's to function, how it's to work, and, and the local church, the local bodies are God's program here and he talks about leadership, and he talks about roles and what we're to be doing and all of those things. So we should give thanks for the church. But I want to talk about this morning being thankful for our family and for our friends. I won't have so much time to get to the friends, and I want to also be thankful for our stuff. Any of you thankful for your stuff, everything you have, provision? We'll call that, that's a better term than stuff, but God's provision for us in a few minutes, but, uh, you know, I went back and I read a lot of those leaves that are hanging from that tree. You gave us your Thanksgiving leaves, and I don't know if there's anything back there where you can still sign those, but if you'd like to, that'd be fine. We're going to leave it up till the end of the year, um, but a lot of them have to do with family or family members, uh, individuals you're close to, the pumpkins that we have back there, many of them talk about family. 
And so family is one of those things that just naturally comes up when we begin to think about what God has given to us and what's important. And uh, when I think of the family unit, boy, it is, it is the basic unit within creation, in, in society. Um, as the family stands, if, if, if the family in whole in a society is solid, if it's good, that society will probably be strong. If the family is weak and is disintegrating, husband, wife, children coming from there, then you're probably going to see problems in that entire culture. I, I was looking back at uh, the book of Joel the other day because as we're reading, and help if I get back to where Joel is, as, as we've been reading through the Old Testament, and I know I'm sure some of you are doing that with us yet. I think that's great. Uh, but in Joel chapter um, 1, in the third verse, it was talking about Joel was telling the things that he was prophesying, and he says, Hear this, O elders, and listen, all inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days? And he's talking there about uh, how the locusts come in and destroy the land and some of the other things. And he says, Tell your sons about it. And let your sons tell their sons and their sons the next generation. And you're right there, he laid out four generations. What you teach your kids, they will most likely teach their kids. And what they see in your life will be carried over in their lives to their children who will go on to their children and all the way down to your grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And I thought about my generations as I go back to my dad who was a... Well, we call them worship leaders today. He was a song leader in a church. He was involved there. He was on the deacon board. Uh, my grandfather was an elder in his church. He was a member of the Gideons. My great-grandfather was a pastor. And so you look at those generations as they flow down, and what we teach our kids is carried on in so many ways, and we need to realize that. But when we come to the family, I just want to talk about it for a few minutes. You go back to Genesis chapter 2. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, God was creating the heavens and the earth, and after each day he would say, and it is good. This is great stuff. He said, it's good. I like this. This is wonderful. And then he created man. Genesis chapter 2, he kind of focuses on the creation of man, and he created Adam, and he placed him in this beautiful garden, and for the very first time, he looked at Adam, and Adam was lonely because he had no mate. He had, did not have a com companion equal to him. I'm sure he probably had dogs and cats and all of those other animals running around there because he was to name the animals. But he didn't have anyone equal to him. And it says that Adam was lonely. And at that point, God said it's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. We need that companion. We need that helpmate. We need someone who comes alongside. And so he took a part of Adam and he created Eve. Adam means man. And he created Eve. And she was to fulfill him. She was what it called a helpmate. She was, in many ways, his equal. They were equals, but they were different. And you know, when we, uh, as men and women, were different, we got little holes in our lives, kind of. I really think that. Um, in terms of our emotions and the way we react to things and the way we see things. And when you have a husband and a wife that come together and they're right, boy, they just kind of fit together perfectly. In fact, it says we become one. And there's that special relationship that we see there. 
And that's really what God intended. It's to, to be a lifelong relationship. In Matthew 19, 6, it says, What God has joined together, let no man separate, let no man divide. And so the family unit, a, a permanent family unit, is so important according to the will of God. God's plan was one man and one woman married for life, and I really believe that. And when we hold to that, then God blesses that relationship. But let me tell you something. You know, I think sometimes if we're not careful, even though the marriage is together, and that's what people used to complain about, even though the marriage is together, they can still be kind of broken with a husband and wife still together because they haven't worked through the things they need to work through. They haven't put it together the, the way God intended for it. But here's God's, what he says, uh, Proverbs chapter 22. Get this, get this, gentlemen. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. He obtains favor from the Lord. I, I would even throw that in there and say, he, she who finds a husband finds a good thing, and she finds favor from the Lord. It, goes together. If you go back to Proverbs 31, it's a, a great passage talking about the description of a boy, an ideal wife, an ideal woman. In, in verse 10 of Proverbs 31, it says, an excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. You know, we get so caught up with finances and material things, and it says, you know, if you get a good wife, all of those material things aren't really that important. It's that relationship that holds together, and it's something we give thanks to God for. I think we need to realize that. As you drop down to verses 10 or 27 to 31, it says, She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat bread, the bread of idleness. Her children rise up, and they bless her, her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but babe, you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give me the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. And you know, I think there's nothing better than to have a, other than our relationship with God, to have a right relationship between a husband and a wife. And, and to be thankful for that. And I believe men and women here today, if you're married, you need to stop and just thank God for that spouse that you have. And if you've been married and, and maybe that spouse has been taken from you, thank God for his input into your life. Now, I read somewhere the other day, how can I find a good husband? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to give you my idea of how to find a good husband or a good wife. It's not in the Bible, but it kind of starts there. How do I find a good husband or good wife? Actually, this is my grandfather's formula, and uh, that's why I think it's so good, because my grandfather, um, he was married, and his wife died when he was about 73, and he was lonely, and he wanted to find a wife. And I remember Darlene and I, I was teaching a Bible study while I was in seminary, and he came to it. We'd go pick him up every evening. He lived in Portland. We went out to Oregon City. We were up there in northern Oregon. 
And uh, one night he told us, he said, yeah, he said, because his second wife had died. And he was probably about 90 at this time. And uh, when he was 75, he decided, I'm going to get married. And so he sat down and he wrote down 25 things that this woman had to qualify at for him to marry her. You all laugh at that, but I'll tell you, that's one of the best things you can do because if you marry somebody and later on you find out your interests are different than hers or your interests are different than his, you're going to make each other miserable. And that happens a lot. People get married because, oh, we love each other. And about three years down the road, they find out that emotion doesn't hold it together anymore. And so he had 25 things. He said, Andy, darling, I married the first time for love. And they were married for a long time. They had seven kids and a neat relationship. They were very formal. Uh, he was Granddad Cochran. My grandmother made sure that was it. Nobody called her grandma. You called her grandmother Cochran. And nobody called him grandpa or any of those other little names people use today. It was grandfather or granddad. And so granddad had this list, and he, I can remember as a boy, we went to a, a thing, and uh, I don't know, some conference or something we were at, and we were sitting up in the balcony, and I was there with my dad and mom and my brothers, and I looked down, and there came my granddad, and he had about six women following him in, and they said, oh, there comes granddad with his harem. He picked one. And he married her grandmother, Dorothy, and it was 18 years they were married before she died. And she was in her 60s. He was in his mid-70s. And he said, you know, she met every qualification except two. He said, she didn't really like to fish, and she didn't want to go swimming with me. And he says, at 75, I guess I could handle that. <laughs> and, and, but... They had an amazing relationship, but it's because they had so much in common to begin with. They loved each other. The very first thing that he said as far as his priority was that she needed to know the Lord and not simply know the Lord. She needed to have the kind of relationship that he did with God, had with God. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. Or what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship is light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? And I'll tell you what, you can be married to an unbeliever, and God says, if you are, you remain there. That's God's will. But somewhere down the line, as you begin to get older, you realize that you have different destinations for eternity. And if you're a Christian, that bothers you. And you find out that your priorities may be to serve the Lord and his or her to serve themselves. And priorities are different. And so granddad said the very first thing he says, I wanted for someone who knew the Lord and not just someone who made lip service to that, but really demonstrated it by their life, how they lived, their involvement in the church, their involvement in their Christianity, their their faithfulness to the Lord in all these aspects. He says it's one thing for a person to say they're a Christian. It's another one for them to truly be one. And so that was important. That was his first priority. Talked about him in the church. Then he went on from there. And uh, it was just amazing. When we do have problems, we, uh, 
we fail to understand. It's because we oftentimes just fail to understand God's program for the, for the marriage, for the relationship, for the family. I, uh, I thought about all the shootings we've had, and uh, I went online. I wanted to know what was common. We've had guns for years and years and years. And since 2003, the seven worst shootings, it said, what was the one thing in common? And only one of them had his biological father present. I don't think it's so much a problem with the mom that's single that's trying to raise the kids, but when they don't have that, that father figure that's there and faithful and carrying through, and it went, there were studies done that went one group after another out of these mass shooters. And they either were from divorced families or families where the father never was there. God's goal is for the husband and wife to be together. And that's something you strive for. And if you struggle in your marriage, put it together, work together, come together, make it right. God said to the man and woman, be fruitful and multiply. That's the second thing he says. We need to be thankful for our children. Do you know what it says in in the book of Psalms, children are a gift from the Lord. And uh, we need to give thanks for our kids, and we need to teach them. And, boy, I have several verses here. I'm not going to touch on all of them. But let me take you back to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 4. I, I think this is a real key in terms of uh, child-rearing and uh, being the kind of parent God wants us to be and being thankful for our kids. And, and it... Uh, there it goes. Chapter 4 in the 6th verse. Actually, I want to go with Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. I'll get there. David gave me a book on worship. I'm not supposed to say that, am I, David? <laughs> okay. It says, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God and the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, with all of your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Now, here's where it is in terms of our kids. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk about them when you sit in the house and you're watching television, you're online or whatever, and you see something that isn't quite where it ought to be, you teach them. When you're sitting in your house, when you walk by the way, you're out at a ball game or doing something else, you're in the park, you begin to share with them about Jesus and who he is. When you lie down, when you rise up, no matter what you're doing, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and uh, as Frontlets on your forehead, they would take a little box and they would put the Shema in it. The Lord your God, he is one, and they would put it there. And you shall write it on the doorposts of your house. You make it prevalent. You make it evident. Um, you know, in Proverbs 22, 6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he won't depart from it. That's the idea that when we train him, it's not a promise, it's a proverb. But the probability is there if you train your child properly, if you're there, then you make a difference in their lives. And they learn from you and they carry that through. And so we need to understand the, the idea of our children that they're so important. 
uh, just talks about older women teaching younger women how to love their husbands. Talks about discipling them in terms of how to take care of their home and how to take care of their kids and teaching them biblical things. It says parents or children are to obey their parents in Ephesians 6. And uh, they're to honor their parents. And I think even today, uh, my parents have been home with the Lord a number of years now, but periodically I will just stop and I'll thank God for my mom and my dad and the impact they had on my life. I don't know if you do that or not, but, you know, that's something we can thank God for. Thank God for, boy, a good home. Juliet came home. I mentioned it a week or so ago. She came home from school, goes to DVC, and she came home, and she says, I'm so thankful for my family. In terms of our relationship with God, it's not enough to just be thankful. We ought to be thanking God. Because I can always say, wow, I sure am glad I've got my family. But when I stop and I say, Lord, thank you, that makes a difference, doesn't it? We acknowledge where they came from. We acknowledge what's special about them. I also need to be thankful for faithful friends. Proverbs 27:17. it talks about iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. <laughs> we can put... Uh, so one woman sharpens another in there. I think we can use that interchangeably. Uh, certainly the principle is there. If you go back to Proverbs chapter 17, Proverbs 17, it talks about uh, the relationship we have with a friend. And I would encourage you, sometimes our friends are much closer to us than our physical relatives, but in Chapter 17, verse 17, it says, A friend loves at all times. Oh, a brother's born for adversity. They're there to handle, to hang in with you. And what happens when you have problems with your friend? You go back and restore it. Scripture, but we want to move on this morning. And so let me just say that it's important that we have those friends, that we do everything we can to build them up. The Bible really talks a lot about relationships and our relationship with others. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, uh, it, it talks about relationships here. And Ephesians 4, 32, it says, be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted, forgiving each other. When you have a, a break in your relationship, you need to restore it. You need to get it together. Just as God in Christ has forgiven you, so also should you. Friends are near, they're dear. Uh, I'm told that a lot of times we don't have more than just a few friends in a lifetime that are really close. And so hold on to those uh, and thank God for them and the impact they have. I'm going to ask Camille to come at this time and, and share with us before we continue on with our, our next song uh, or our next uh, part of our passage this morning in terms of thanking God for the provision he makes for us.
you can. The uh, last thing I want to talk about, and I'm going to do it uh, fairly quickly this morning, is the idea of provision. It's the uh, things that God gives us, what we need, and uh, I think a lot of times we don't take account of the fact that God provides for us until we're without it, and then we begin to wonder why he didn't give me more. Uh, but I, I know that I read in Psalms 24, 1 and 2, it says everything in the world belongs to God. Everything in the universe belongs to God. He created it. He brought it into existence. In Psalms 50, it, it speaks of his possession of the things that exist on the mountains and the hillsides. In verses 10 to 12, it says, For every beast in the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. He says, I don't need your cattle. I don't need your beep. I don't need your sacrifices. He says, I've already got enough. I don't need anything to eat. That's what God says. He says, I know every bird of the mountains, and everything that moves in the fields is mine. Oh, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all it contains. And when I read that, I began to think, wow. There's a couple of things that really cause problems for us. There are issues in our lives. Number one would be our relationships. And when relationships are broken, we hurt. It's painful. God wants to help mend that. He wants to take care of us to deal with it. And we thank him for that. And boy, I'll tell you this morning, if there's that issue, you just, the Lord's waiting to come alongside and be there for you. But you know the other thing we struggle with? Stuff whether we have enough or don't have enough, and do we have the income, and is there enough money there to pay the bills, and boy, that, that makes us anxious. And God provides in so many different ways. He meets so many different needs, but what we need to realize is because oftentimes when we become anxious about those things, it's because we see things as ours. We're the ones that earn them. We're the ones that obtain them. It's, it's what we do that's important, not so much God. And yet we understand through this that everything belongs to God, even today. The things that I have, I'm a caretaker. I'm a steward. They still belong to God. Matthew chapter 6, it was talking about the lilies of the field and how he takes care of them, the birds of the air, how he takes care of them, and how we're more important than that. And in verse 33, he says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Have you ever figured that out? <laughs> I got enough problems today, I don't have to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. And so we come to God, and uh, instead of grumbling and complaining, we say, Lord, I, I just need to rely on you. I need to trust you. I'll tell you, one of our great problems is the difference between our needs and our greeds. Uh, our needs and what we think we have to have, our needs and our wants. Um, we're already getting Christmas lists, and I'm going, whoo, probably not a real need. We want bigger, faster computers, and we want certain games that everybody has, and designer clothes, and, oh, a little fancier car and a bigger home, and all those things. And when we don't have what the Joneses have, then we begin to say, what's the matter? Why haven't you given me those things? And we forget to go back and say, what do I really need? We, uh, we take credit for what we have rather than giving God credit for us. And I think that's 
so important that we learn to stop and just say, you know, Lord, I'm so thankful for what, for what I do have. Thank you. And, and if you provide more, oh, I appreciate it, but that's not the big issue, Father. It's that you do take care of me, and I can stop, and I can say thank you for what your provision is. If you go back to James chapter 1, James chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, it says, Don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation, no shifting shadow. In other words, he never changes. He's always the same. And it says everything we have comes from him. When we want more, because we probably haven't given him credit for what he's given to us oftentimes. I think back to the Israelites, and they were out there. They'd come out of Egypt. God had brought them out. They'd come through the, the desert to the Red Sea, and the Egyptians were chasing them, and God opened the door to the Red Sea, and they passed through on dry land, and the Egyptians were covered over with water. And Wow. Amazing what God did, and it wasn't long before they began to grumble. Lord, you're not giving us enough. We want more food. We need better water. So God said, well, I'm going to give them manna. I'm going to give them this white stuff. You get up in the morning, you collect enough for the day, not more than you need, just enough for the day. And then on, on Friday, because the next day is the Sabbath, you collect twice as much as you need. And so they got up and some people went out there. And you know what they did? They collected as much as they could. If we get it, we don't have to work the next three days. They got up the next day and everything they had collected was filled with maggots. And it wasn't any good. Because, you see, they just didn't trust God for what he said. And the Bible says we don't stockpile huge amounts. Now, I think we need to have savings accounts. We need to have money for retirement. Those are just natural within our, the world in which we live. But I think sometimes we think we have to stockpile and amass so much that we don't use it for God. Beautiful picture in closing, back in John chapter 6. And I think it sets a lesson for us. In John chapter 6, there was a multitude there. Jesus had been teaching them all day. They were hungry. And they were tired. And Jesus said, well, we need to get food for him. And he told his disciples, and one of his disciples named Philip said, well, where are we going to buy bread so that this many people, 5,000 men and their families can eat. He says you need more than 200 denarii, and that's a huge amount. One of the disciples named Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a, there's a lad here that has five barley loaves, and he has two fishes, but, man, we got 5,000 men. That's, that's not going to feed one of them. Jesus had the people, said, have the people sit down. And now there was much grass in the place, and so the men sat down in a number of about 5,000, and Jesus then took the bread, the loaves, and having given thanks, having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated, likewise all the fish, as much as they wanted, and they picked up 12 baskets full. In the Lord's Prayer begins with our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We reflect on God to begin with. And then down there a little ways, it says, give us this day our daily bread.
You know, we put bread on the table, we put meat on the table, we go out to dinner, and so often we take credit for the fact that we have it, rather than stopping to really reflect and give thanks to God for whatever's there. We need to realize everything we have came from Him. And so I think a great practice for especially, um, all of us, but especially parents with kids, teach your kids to give thanks for what they have. Not just to quickly go through a prayer before you can eat, but really take time to say thanks. That's the most basic thing. One of the most basic things we have in life is our food. And so when we learn to give thanks at the dinner table and at lunch and at breakfast, we also begin to learn to give thanks for other things as well. And so I really encourage you to take time to thank God when you write an electric bill or a water bill or the mortgage payment or you go to the grocery store and you buy those groceries because we need to go back and realize that they all come from God and he gives them to us and give thanks and live with that in mind. Thanksgiving is so important. Thank God for who he is. Recognize who he is. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Doesn't talk about anything he's done. Then it gets into the things he did and how great he is. And he created the universe. And then he created us. We're his creation. We're special. We're unique. And because we were lost, he made provision for us. And his son left heaven. A king left heaven to become a pauper and give his life for us. And so you give thanks for that. And, and, and then he made it known to us through the Bible. He said, here's the Bible. Do you know what the Bible is? The most amazing book in all of the written material in the world today. Written by 15, or over 1,500 years by over 40 different authors. And the unity within that Bible is so amazing. Give thanks for the Bible. Give thanks for the forgiveness of sin. And God deals with those issues going on in your life. Give thanks for your family. Boy, give thanks for your family. If you're struggling in your family, you know, boy, take it to the Lord. Come and see somebody here at church that can counsel, can help. Uh, don't let your family be broken within the family. Put it together. See God work because he'll do that. And then thank him for his provision. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we come today and, and we just end this study of thanksgiving. Thank you for today. Thank you for providing for us. Thank you for meeting our needs. Thank you for giving us a church and a body of believers where we display love to one another. Thank you, Father, for the blessings that you have showered upon us. You are an amazing God. I pray for each individual here that they might truly experience the blessing with that, that comes with being thankful. That it wouldn't be just an exercise that we did for six weeks or 35 days, but it would be a pattern that would become part of their life that would continue on for our children, our young people, to learn to give thanks, Father, and to thank one another. Good place to start is when we have our Christmas presents under the tree and we just stop and say, wow, thank you. You didn't have to do it, but you gave it to me. Thank you. And then thank God. Thank you, Father. So we just uh, appreciate your love and your compassion and your tenderness toward us, Father. We ask for your spirit to minister to each individual here and the needs they might have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.